Ephesians chapter 6, let's start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God this morning. I want to review. We have been looking at putting on the panoplia, one word, the complete full armor of God. You cannot pick and choose. You must put it all on or you have none of it on. The first piece of this panoplia is gird your loins. We talked about an action, an object, and a spiritual attribute. The first one, that first action is to gird or buckle or to fasten your loins, the seat of reproduction in our bodies with his truth. Secondly, we talked about clothing or sinking into, dressing ourselves, arraying ourselves, our thorax more specifically, our abdomen or our chest in his righteousness. We talked about the the wedding and looked forward at in, in revelation of how really the righteous acts of the saints, we are wearing this white linen. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Thirdly, bind up your feet or buckle or chain, wrap underneath your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, which is the good news of salvation. Fourth, we talked about taking up the shield of faith. And the, the word literally is door. This is a big shield. Take it up, which is and represents faith. What is faith? Well, according to Hebrews chapter 11, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I said last week, in other words, faith is the foundation of our hope that convinces us of unseen things. Faith is the foundation of our hope which convinces us of things that we do not yet see. It is a trust, it's an assurance, it's a confidence in God and in His promises. And I I mentioned a few examples as we were closing last week and gave this as a teaser. 
for where we're going today. If we look at heaven, faith is the foundation of our hope that we know heaven is real. But at the same time, faith helps to convince us of that reality. That's what faith is. Another example, Jesus' resurrection. Faith lays the groundwork for our belief that Jesus' resurrection, as is described in the Word of God, actually occurred the way that it did. And at the same time, helps us to convince us that those things really took place. That's what faith does for us. Faith also helps us to believe that God really is who He says He is. Provider, our banner, the God of hosts, our healer. Faith helps us to understand and believe. It convinces us that His names are His character, and His character is His name. That is what faith does. We give glory to God. Now, it is faith that helps us to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, along with truth and righteousness and peace. All of them together help us to stand firm. Without any of them, we are left for dead on the battlefield. Faith helps us to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. I want to look at, again at the remainder of verse 16. We left off with the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. With which you will be able to quench some of, most of, all of. Not one attack from the evil one. Who's that? will penetrate you if you have taken up your shield of faith. It's thought that these doors, again, that's the word, these shields, these big shields, they were big rectangular, they had a little curve on them. You'd hide your whole body behind them. It's thought that sometimes soldiers would wrap them in a couple layers of leather and they would soak them the night before battle. And this is the picture of being able to extinguish, or really the word is quench, as in don't quench the spirit, same word. The worm, or also t- speaking of, of hell or Hades, the worm where the worm does not die, in what? And it also says that the fire is not quenched or extinguished, same word. So the word is ceasing to burn. And this is what the arrows of the evil one do. They burn us, but we are given a defense that cancels them out. What is our defense? Faith. And since our shield is forged in faith, I'd argue that based upon the context of Scripture that these flaming arrows are anything that comes up against faith. Does that seem reasonable? Now, some ministers teach that fear is the opposite of faith. Well, I don't know about it being the, as in the only one literal opposite of fear. I mean, you could make certainly a scriptural um, argument, a case that love is the opposite of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So maybe there's lots of things that go against or work against fear. Fear or really, does, does that really mean that love and faith would then therefore be synonyms if it's just 
Fear is the opposite of faith. Well, I don't know, but I see their point because the truth is that fear is certainly a result of lacking in faith. Is it the opposite? I don't know. I don't want to go down that road, but I will say this. Fear comes about only when we are weak in faith. Peter walking on the water. The disciples not having enough fish in loaves. Peter being afraid when Jesus was arrested. The disciples not knowing what to do and fearing for their own lives when he was arrested. Every instance you see through the account of Scripture, fear is a result of not having faith. Ye of little faith. How many times did Jesus say that? Fear comes from not trusting, more specifically, God's character, His Word, and His promises. That's a harsh reality. Any fear the church has experienced, especially over the last two years, is a lack of faith in the character, the Word, and promise of God. For instance, if you truly have faith that God will deliver you from the evil age, why do Christians even fear death? Lack of faith in His promise to deliver us. If we have faith that He really is provider, Yahweh Yireh, why do we begin to worry or feel anxiety when the checking balance gets low? In a sense, I do believe faith is the evidence of a fearless life, or that a fearless life is evidence of faith in a person. Turn to Psalm chapter 91. Psalm chapter 91. I thought we talked about this two, three years ago, Steve. Remember when I preached on it? When was it? It was the year Caitlin had her accident. I believe it was 2013 or 14. I can't remember. It's been a while. Deb would know. Psalm 91. I want to look at it closely. Now, we've read it several times. And the context is a reminder during COVID of just one, if I could cherry pick one encouraging God is faithful passage. This might be it. There's, there's many, but this is certainly a good one. Charles Spurgeon said, before we get to it, though angels are abroad and fill our chambers, we dream of demons and dire visitants from hell. In other words, why is it that we have all of these wonderful promises of God and yet we so often succumb to the fears of the devil in the world? Psalm 91. He who dwells, makes up residence, places his house in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. 
of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down because he has loved me. Personalize this. Therefore, I will deliver him. This is God speaking it over us. He says, I will set him, that's me, securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. When is the last time you turned here when you were afraid? Or have you never turned here? If that's the case, you certainly need to stick a bookmark in this chapter in your Bible. It's so easy to get sucked into the propaganda that we so belovingly refer to as the mainstream media. It is so popular and addictive to get our news from our Facebook feed. I know, it happens gradually, so innocently. In fact, one of the things that has become so evident and clear to me over these last two years, and I think it's one of the most difficult things in the church dealings, particular to COVID, that I've realized, is that many people don't even know when they are fearful. They live in denial of anxiety and worry. It's this slippery slope that pulls you in. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. A fearless life is proof of taking up your shield of faith. And only when we take up God's shield of faith that no disease or pestilence will ever come near us are we walking out in a fearless life. Are we walking out with faith? This is what it says. God is our shield and bulwark. Those who make their shelter in the shadow of the Almighty. let, Let me just remind us. Shall not be afraid. Verse 5. Of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. 10. No evil, none. If he's your shelter... None evil. Bad grammar, good preaching. None evil will befall me, nor will any plague, man-made or not, come near my house. How, pastor, can you judge whether or not someone is full of fear? I make this argument on the basis of his name. Fear 
is an outworking of disbelief. It is a lack of faith in his promises, his word, and his name. Matthew Henry, hundreds of years ago, wrote, the true remedy against tormenting fear is faith in God. To me, it boils down to two options for the believer. There's a third, which applies to those that are not in Christ Jesus. They don't believe the Word of God for what it says. But as a believer, you can read this passage and you have, the way I see it, only two options. Either you read Psalm 91 and you feel encouraged because it's nice poetry that distracts you from the world around you, or you read it and let it actually shape the way you think about Father God, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. That's God's word. It's truth. The question is, do you take it as poetry or do you take it as a promise? If you have been afraid of the flying arrows, I ask you, have you sought shelter yet from the Most High? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, Isaiah 43, 2. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, Psalm 23, 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Psalm 27, 1. Came across a story about a man, an illustration I should say, about a man who had to cross river on a thin sheet of ice. He was afraid that He was going to fall in, that it would be too thin, and he began to crawl on his hands and knees. He spread out his weight in great terror. He thought he might fall through at any moment. And just as he was approaching the shore of the other side, exhausted, another man comes gliding past him nonchalantly, sitting on a sled loaded with iron ingots. The story goes on, says, How like some Christians... Headed for heaven, they tremble at every step, lest the divine promises break under their feet. By resting completely upon him and taking his promises at face value, we can drive out the paralyzing fear that hinders our effectiveness in serving Christ. Anonymous. Of the arrow by day or the terror by night, Psalm 91 is showing us that God gives us 24-hour protection. There's no threat, whether seen or unseen, anticipated or unexpected, which can catch God unaware and make Him unable to protect us. Beloved, take up your shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. If the arrows are attacks on our faith, or more precisely, since our faith cancels out the effectiveness of these flaming arrows, what sort of things might these arrows in this illustration be made of? Well, if I could sort of lump them together, there's lots of different ways you could take this metaphor. We're back in Ephesians chapter 6 now. But if I could lump them back in together into one sort of broad category before I give you some examples, some examples here of these flaming darts, flaming arrows... I'd suggest that perhaps his arrows are forged, our shield is forged in faith, 
Perhaps the arrows are forged in falsehood, deception, lies. We know that Jesus is the father of... Excuse me, I meant to say the devil is the father of... No wonder you were confused. Woo! I was like, wait a second, they did not just say that, did they? I I sincerely wonder how many times I'm preaching and something comes out of my mouth, I have totally said the wrong thing. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you put them into the ears of people the way that they meant to come out. (laughs) Correct. Jesus is of truth. The father or the devil is the father of lies. Okay, John 8, 44. And Jesus specifically states in that passage that there is no truth in him. None. Add to that. That in Psalm 64, which we have not read, you can look at it later, our speech is likened to shooting arrows. It talks about the bitterness of our speech. So there's this metaphor, this theme that's gone all the way through the Old Testament of our speech being like shooting darts out. I would say with all of this together, I picture that Satan, the evil one, what he's really throwing our way or aiming with these arrows are just lies. Lies of what? Let me give you a few examples. Starting in the garden. Take of the fruit, and you'll be like God. He says to Jesus, bow to me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. Everything you see. How about he comes up and whispers in your ear, you're going to die. You're not going to make it. You're going to run out of money. You're going to starve. That's my biggest fear. How about, are you really saved? You're not actually in Christ. Or, God doesn't really love you. Well, that part of the Bible isn't supposed to be taken literally. You really shouldn't be reading that anyway, leave that up to the experts. You're all alone. Nobody cares. It's too late. Satan is hurling lies and is constantly trying to get us to fear, to doubt, to give up. Why? Because he knows that he will win the battle as soon as His lies cause us to fear because all that means is we have dropped our shield of faith. That is the moment that we worry or doubt or give in, we fail to stand firm. When we give in to temptation, when we believe what he has to offer is better than what God himself has promised, we lose. On the other hand, when Satan plagues us with doubt or entices us with instant gratification, faith recognizes the deceptiveness of his tactics and quickly extinguishes his arrows. Faith reminds us to believe in God. Faith reminds us of his word. Faith reminds us of his promises. Ask God to increase faith in your life. Be obedient and take it up. Psalm 56.3 records the famous King David confessing to God, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Lord, let it be so. Help us, Lord, to give our fears and our worries. And that is what we must do. Lift up our shield to extinguish the flaming 
arrows of the evil one. Number five, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we come to a change in Paul's writing. Up to this point, he was using participles. Fastening, clothing, shotting, taking. There's ap- action, object, spiritual attribute. I know some of you are not excited about grammar. It's bad enough we've got to get Greek words, right? Now we're doing English grammar. It's terrible. Here's the thing. We come to a break in his style. He is shifting away from participles, and he gets into a command. Now, there are two more participles in this passage, and it's a very unique way of writing, and he's building an emphasis to it. We're going to get them, but they are not tied to the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. It is important to point out, or I think it's important, that this word take in Greek is a variation of dekomai. It is not the same word we see in 16 of taking up our shield of faith. Totally different word. Here's the problem. We in English, we just look at that and we say, oh, we're supposed to take up the shield of faith. We're supposed to take up our salvation. We're supposed to take up our sword of the Spirit. Wrong! 59 times this word is used in the New Testament. 52 times it is translated receive. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot take it into your own hands and take it up. You must receive what He has already delivered unto you. The same will apply to the sword of the Spirit when we get to it. Julie, you remember the analogy from Pastor Vince. Take the bill. You just got to take it. You got to receive what He has already provided. Salvation cannot be earned. It cannot be acquired on your own. We must receive it from Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of who? God. What is the it? What is the it is a gift? What is the it? Some say, well, it's faith. Well, faith is a gift. Well, it is a, it's a gift of God. Some say grace is a gift of God, and that is true. But the it in that passage, it is a gift of God, is referring collectively to salvation. Salvation that is described as grace, saving us through faith, is the gift. Salvation is God's gift. Therefore, we must receive it. Luke 2.30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This was being spoken over, baby Jesus. Thank you, God. My eyes have seen your salvation. Luke 3, 6. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. Whose salvation? God's. Luke, or excuse me, Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Now back to the fifth piece of armor. He changes from participles, but it is a verb here. There is an action. It's not take up. It is to receive. And it's this one word that in the construction of this Greek is used for these next two. Action, object, spiritual attribute. Gird your loins with truth, clothe your thorax with righteousness, bind your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, take up the shield of faith, receive the helmet of salvation. What's the object? Helmet. 
we're receiving a helmet. Perikephalia, it's a big word. It is only used twice in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, put on the helmet, the hope of salvation. Both times we have in Scripture, I was looking for additional extra-biblical sources and could not find this word used, but it is simply helmet. That's all we have to go by. It is used 11 times in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, and they all describe helmets. Now, I believe it's quite obvious Paul is taking this passage from Isaiah 59, 17. If your Bible may have the helmet of salvation in all caps, it's an indication that this is an Old Testament scripture. If you've got a side note on your Bible, a little cross-reference, it's pointing you to that. There's the picture we've read it earlier about um, the breastplate of righteousness and where it talks about the helmet of salvation. The action is received, the object is helmet. What's the spiritual attribute here? Salvation. Soterios. Deliverance, preservation, safety. Deliverance from harassment or molestation of an enemy. Deliverance. We are not talking about our future spiritual salvation, which has already taken place, is taking place, and will take place. I've always looked at it that way and said, oh, we're talking about guarding our mind with the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. No, there's a distinction here. This is deliverance from an enemy. Our helmet is what protects us from a spiritual battle, and God wants to deliver us presently from the enemy, salvation. The spiritual blessing that we have in mind here is deliverance from the evil one. Paul is not so much talking about eternal separation from him, hell, as in hell. He's writing about shelter from Satan. And how do we get this described deliverance or salvation, soterios? Well, I think a big part of it begins and falls when we renew our minds, Romans 12, 2. I want us to consider briefly a couple of ways that our minds are weak. Firstly, distractions. Anyone ever been distracted in prayer meeting? <laughs> Anyone ever been distracted in church? Time of devotions. We need to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What are the strongholds? The picture here is of a walled city or a castle. And these castles, these Walled cities are made of huge stones, and our thought patterns are at war. They're against or raised up against the knowledge of God. These are like fortresses. If something is raised up against God, it's not just a fleeting thought. Anything that is raised up against God's Word, His character, His nature, His promises, is like a fortress where the devil comes in 
And what does he do from that position of fortress or that castle? He goes out. He dispatches his enemies from that place, that thinking place, that speculation that's raised up against God. So we have the picture here, the word picture here is we actually have to bombard the castle, that stronghold, tear down these huge stones, these thought patterns, so that he can no, you, no longer, the enemy can no longer use that as a launching place for his attacks. Tear down everything that is raised up against the knowledge of God. If something in the Word of God says one thing, but your mind thinks another, you've got a fortress in your brain. You've got to tear it down. The moment that we entertain a thought that is not from God, you're not good enough. It's too late. He doesn't care. You're all alone. All those things I just listed off. This is where faith, the shield of faith, and our helmet of salvation work in conjunction together. Faith, fear, salvation, deliverance, guarding our minds in Christ Jesus. The moment we entertain a thought that is not from God, we're actually warring against the very purposes of God in our life. When we dwell on and we feed those things that are contrary to His Word, we are actually warring against God's purposes. We cannot afford to have a thought in our minds that is not in His about us. Our brain is only so big. You can stuff it with whatever you want. But if you fill it with things that are not of God, that are not found in His Word, that are not His promises, are not His truth, not His revelation, not His love and His grace and His mercy and His justice and His righteousness, then you're actually coming up against the purposes God has in your life. That's why the Bible says that the mindset on the flesh is death. Romans 8, 6. Let's go about it this way. When you first get saved, one of the first things we start to deal with is what we think about. You may find yourself filled with hatred or anger, greed, lust, envy, and the Holy Spirit convicts you of those things, you repent of them, and then you get washed in the blood, you're, you're cleansed again, right? This is sanctification. But after a while, you begin, hopefully this has happened in your life, you begin to understand that God is not just interested in the individual's thoughts, is He? He's interested really in the whole way of thinking. I don't want you just to bind up that thought, although that's a starting place. Although that's a starting place. He said, I want you to completely gaze and dwell upon me so that I may have your whole mind. I want to renew it. I want to renew it daily. That's one example of the importance of our spirit, the, the mind. Secondly, second way that our mind is weak, and there's many. We're not going to get to them all today. I'm just going to give you three. Is that we must protect our mind from those lies, those fiery darts. Perhaps you have been hit with these lies that you can understand, that you can't understand His Word, or that... As I said, you can leave those things to the experts. Every lie that you have ever believed has been, had its origins in the pit of hell. 
everything that someone has spoken over you that is not backed by God's Word. You're not good enough. He doesn't love you. He doesn't forgive you. Your father doesn't love you. All of those come from the pit of hell. The enemy wants us to put in wants to put us in competition to what God knows to be true. Take those thoughts captive. Thirdly, salvation for our heads is also, I believe, protection from discouragement. Against the desire to give up. Pastor Vince used to always say, don't give up, don't give out, don't give in. Discouragement, church. Are you getting it? Put on his helmet of provision protection from the evil one, salvation, that you would not give in to the distraction of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, or the discouragement of the enemy. See, we have a hope not only in knowing that we are saved, but that we will be saved. And it's that assurance that God gives us that helps us to press on even when things are hard and difficult, when we come up against trials and tribulations. Satan wants our minds, but we must receive God's salvation. Deliverance from the lies, thoughts, distractions, discouragements, speculations, theories, and ideas of the evil one. Fifth, receive his deliverance for your mind, his protection for your thoughts. Receive the helmet of salvation. Renew your mind. 